The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. In celebration of their newly launched WCI newsstand platform, Wing Chun Illustrated is giving listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast a free one-month all-access subscription. Go to wcinewsstand.com and click the register button in the upper right corner. Use voucher code FREE4U. That's F-R-E-E, the number four, and the letter U, all caps. Don't forget to activate your account by clicking the link in the welcome message. The Dudes of Kung Fu Love, Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. So, hey, Jim, how you doing, man? It's great to see you. How you been? Yeah, excellent, man. I'm not... Uh, making the most of it, having some fun right now, and uh, yeah, get, getting a lot of training in. Yeah, are you doing what everyone else is doing? You you you're doing the Zoom thing, teaching online. Are you you part of that that uh, that movement now? Yeah, I, f- I found it to be uh, really useful. You know, the first few times in front of it, it was a little bit weird for me, and it, it's still kind of a little bit weird. But now it has a it has a good potential. You know, so I'm enjoying it. Right, right. And you're doing, obviously, your own classes for your students, but uh, you're also, did, did I notice you also did a class with some teachers out, uh, some Gulo instructors in China as well? What was that about? Yeah, so uh, actually, that was this morning. We ended up, uh, I organized a little cyber event, you know, so I contacted my grand teacher's son, and I asked him if he wanted to come on, talk a little bit, and do a little demo and lead a group of people. And uh, he thought that was a pretty good idea. So that happened this morning. And uh, I think it's the first time uh, outside. A lot of people can never get over to that village. It's the first time they get to, you know, train directly with somebody in the village, old village. So right, it was right. kind of cool. Yeah, technology is incredible. Can you imagine, like, you know, in, in the Qing dynasty, if they could see in the future that things like this would go on, you know, that people from all over the world could, you know, contact each other through these screens and, you know, learn from each other. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, I really, uh, I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I thought it would be, uh, you know, because obviously in, in martial arts, we want to interact with our students and stick hands and do all that kind of stuff. So the initial thing is like, well, how are we really going to do this? But there's so much, you know, that you can do in terms of solo training and interactive stuff that it, it's kind of, I feel it's forcing me to expand my, my mind as an instructor a little bit, which will hopefully help me when, when we go back to, to teaching classes in person again. Yeah, I mean, really, it allows us to go out and be with a whole group of people that maybe, you know, obviously we cannot normally do. I have my guys in uh, London. We have the local guys. We got guys that have moved away. We're all linking up. We're having like, you know, killer workout sessions. And, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, we, before we started today, uh, you had mentioned something briefly about you perhaps being the first person in dudes of Kung Fu history to have a special distinction. And what is that distinction, dare I ask? Well, I am the only person to have been back three times. That's three, three. (laughs) That's right, three times on the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is quite a feat because although we have guests from time to time, we're not really a guest heavy podcast. It's normally just Sean and I kind of going back and forth. And so that definitely says something in a podcast that doesn't have a lot of guests that you made it back three times. So congratulations. It also shows I bought Alex tea twice, I think. Maybe. 
and a couple chew and a couple as you call them chew and screws <laughs> which which for to clarify to our listeners occasionally jim may, you know jim lives in boston i'm in new york so it's not terribly far away but occasionally he comes into new york to see what one of your kung fu uncles right yeah i have a, a pinson uncle that lives in uh in queens that's right. And, and then so occasionally, you know, he, he's really coming to meet his uncle, but then he'll use it. And the guy's like, oh, by the way, when I'm in New York, maybe, maybe I can see you. And then so we'll meet and then we'll have a very quick meal. And he's like, all right, see you later. Boom. And he's out of there on to the next thing. The, the jet setting lifestyle of Sifu Jim Rosalando, right? I'm glad I could make it into your schedule. <laughs> I, I was staying down on the same street. So, you know, it was easy enough to swing on by. And uh, how could I go to New York and not stop by, you know, City Wing Tun? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's always great to see you. I wish we had more opportunities. But, you know, uh, I, I suppose after all this is, th is done, we will probably go through greater efforts to see people and have more human contact, at least for a little while. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so obviously, yeah, you have been on the podcast uh, a few times, but. A lot of our listeners are new and, um, you know, many of our listeners are either kind of Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do. And uh, the style of Wing Chun you teach is not kind of the, the typical, for lack of a better term, although that's maybe not the right term, but it's kind of not the typical Yip Man Wing Chun. Um, can you tell people a little bit about the specific line of Wing Chun that you do? where it comes from, and, and just to give people kind of like, you know, almost like your elevator pitch on what it is that you do for people who have never heard of Pinsan Wing Chun before. Okay, so Pinsan Wing Chun is a branch of Wing Chun that st it stems from Dr. Lung Jan. And uh, Lung Jan was a native of Gulo, and when he retired, he went back to Gulo. So during this time period, he took on a couple of students, but one of the students was Wong Wasam. Wang Wasam was a little guy. He was like 4'11", maybe 90 pounds, you know, so this is really small. And uh, long story short, he taught him the 12 side body hands, the side body style of Wing Chun. And there are 12 main sections to the, uh, to the sets. That's it. There's one set of hands, but there's about 12 little sections to it. And... Uh, the difference maybe is it's a small family, even though there's a lot of Gulo practitioners down in, in Gulo, uh, but the family is quite small. And whereas most styles would uh, face squarely on their opponent, we're constantly rotating the body. So the rotation is always constant, but when we rotate, we don't stay, we don't stay square with the body. We actually we rotate and the head stays forward. So it uses uh, like a gyro effect in the movement. Mm -hmm. So also, um, as you said, you have the, these 12 sets. So you, it, the Pinsan Wing Chun doesn't follow the kind of Siunam Tao Chamkyu Byuji structure. And, uh, you know, it's always kind of the big thing because in terms of martial arts history, especially Chinese martial arts history, it's like trying to put a, a jigsaw puzzle together without knowing what the actual picture is supposed to look like and having like 500,000 pieces in front of you. So, you know, obviously the Yip Man line is also, also through Leung Jan, Leung Jan being Yip Man Si Gong. Um, and then, but the style of Wing Chun that Yip Man does has Siunam Tao Cham Kibuji has this kind of structure. And the Pinzan style, which also comes from Leung Jan, does not have that. So. Um, do we know whether, you know, 
like the late Leung John taught these, these hand forms in Fatsan and then, then just kind of stripped it down later in life when he went back to Gulo village or did the Siyunong Tao Chumki Buji structure maybe come after Leung John? Because I think this is one of those kind of chicken and egg questions that a lot of Wing Chun people ask. Do you, do you have any information about that? Well, my personal, my personal opinion is, is that 12 hand sets were maybe developed for Leung, uh, for Wang Wasang. I'm not quite sure. I don't really feel that this was some old style that he had learned and he only passed on to one person. I, I don't really believe that, you know, but if you uh, look at the organization, also when people think about the 12 handsets, it's 12 small handsets. It's not 12 long forms. It's a really compact art. And uh, there's movements in it that you can find that are from the Sulintal, the uh, Chumkyu and the Bilji. But you know the those three sets. What they're doing is each specific. You know, maybe the Silum Tao is your basic, your posture, your positioning, and all that sort of stuff, and your basic movements. Chumkyu has a medium kind of torque to it. Buji has this really sharp torque. So we have the same sort of torquing methods in all of our Wing Chun hands, and we try to get you know we try to apply them very closely to someone to your opponent. Absolutely. And um, what about, um, so that's kind of, I guess we can theorize that uh, Leung Chang created this kind of uh, direct and stripped down version to teach Wong Wa Sam. And that this is, you know, obviously when you look at the movements and I've seen you per perform it a number of times, obviously the, the techniques are all Wing Chun. As a matter of fact, I find sometimes the things that you do in the Pinsan Wing Chun remind me a lot more of what we also do in the Leung Ting system, sometimes even more than some things, even in other Yip Man uh, derived lineages, I can sometimes see a, a lot more connections in there. Now, um, in terms of T-cell, right? Because uh, another thing that uh, is not, not specific, but another thing that kind of differentiates the Yip Man line from some other lines is this kind of platform of having Pun Cao and then having some kind of step-by-step -step Gao Cao structure. How is Qi Cao, uh, implemented in the Pinsan Wing Chun style? So Qi Sao training is kind of like a hallmark of it. You know, we have, because we don't have a lot of forms, but we do have, we have Chok Sao and Qi Sao. The, the Chok Sao is the solving hands or the partner exercises. And the Qi Sao are specific sticky hand exercises. But the difference is, is the, the Hyun Sao goes around the wrist. It completely goes around the wrist. And it's a progressive training of circling around from the wrist down to the elbow, all the way up to the body. So it's a progressive method of this sticky hand play from the long, the medium to the close. Got it. And also, uh, th there, there are no knife techniques, which I want to talk about in a moment, uh, but there is a pole set. Do you, is this pole set from, from Dr. Leung John? Was, did this come from a, 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 another arena? Or was, was this also, you know, how is the pole and what is the pole and how is it integrated into the Pinsun style? So the original Pinsun, as far as I'm told now, or as far as I believe now, it had fist and pole. The dummy was maybe added later by the other the guys once they left the village and they saw maybe Foshan guys practicing on the dummy and things like that. I don't think they had a dummy early on. So I think that actually came a little bit later. But the Pinsun has fist, the dummy now, and the pole. And the pole mimics the fist, but it, I believe it's also, this would have been a, a development perhaps for Wang Wasam. It's not the full Lok Din Bung Guan, 
and uh, it doesn't use Se Ping Ma or the, you know, the square and the longer horses. It uses the normal Wing Chun horse, but the focus is on the dim power. So there's a lot of just twisting and, and stabbing and flicking of the wrists and things like that. So it relates to the hand skills. Yeah, it's a direct, direct relationship to the hand skills. If you flip over and drop down, you're, you're working the motions of your, your basic Wing Chun hands while you're doing that. So it reinforces the, the skills, the fist, two-man training, the pole, all of this builds on each other, that same sort of like gong. Got it, got it. And so for also for our listeners who are maybe somewhat new to Wing Chun history, so uh, Leung Chan is not just... Uh, you know, famous because, you know, he had, he later had his own lineage here of Pinsan Wing Chun, in addition to being the Sigong or grand teacher of Yip Man. But Leung Jan is kind of revered within the Wing Chun family as kind of being, um, even though he's not the founder, but he's definitely kind of a, a big patriarch, I suppose, of the Wing Chun style, because he's the most, one of the most famous masters, perhaps be, before uh, Yip Man, in, in that he is known as you know, Mr. John from Fatsan or Dr. John from Fatsan and, and known not in kind of a very classic Chinese archetype as the scholar who also has Kung Fu skills, who is also like a doctor and can also heal people. This kind of triad of a very scholarly uh, gentleman with medical skills and martial arts skills seems to be the archetype of what, especially in those days, um, determined uh, the real badass was the one who could do all of these things. And Wong Feihong, who comes a little bit later, is kind of that guy for Hong Kun and Leung Chan is kind of that famous patriarch from, from our style. Do you, were, were any of these, you know, I mean, obviously there are a lot of stories of Leung Chan and many of them come from Pulp Fiction novels. These are, or movies and these things have been kind of fictionalized over time. But through the Pin Sun lineage, obviously we're talking about uh, Leung John's style towards the end of his life, which he taught Wong Wa Sam, this kind of stripped down style. Did any of these stories of his exploits in Fatsan kind of trickle through the Pinsan family? Do they ever talk about these things that have happened? Maybe a story that doesn't come from a movie or a novel or something. Do you know any interesting Leung John stories or feats or anything like that? Or was that something that wasn't really talked about? Well, you know, Lung Jan, it's unfortunately because of those pulp fiction things, they, they, they made people think that it was just this like fictional character. You know what I mean? And the fact of the matter is, though, wherever this guy was, Wing Chun flourished. You know, so it's a, it's a really important factor to look at that. Uh, he grew up in the right time. He was in the right place. Um, when you talk about scholarly, his, so his father and his grandfather were both doctors or in merchants, they were supposed to be. Um, so he was brought up in a good family, you know, he, he was knowledgeable in medicine. And when he was young, he was supposedly training maybe some village styles, things like that, you know. But uh, after he trained with Wang Wabo, he uh, specialized only in Wing Chun. Yeah, but they, he could use, you know, powerful leg methods from the Shaolin stuff, even when he was doing the soft power Wing Chun. So, you know, this, this is just a, a something, something like that, that it's, it's known now. So he grew up in this time era. And then he, in the 1850s, he would have been in his prime. He might have been, you know, uh, he I was a young man in his prime, but I don't really feel that he was, 
openly teaching maybe during this period. You know, he might have uh, was a teacher later on. Um, maybe a little bit later in life he would be teaching, but family more so at, at his clinic early on, I think. Um, f stories of him. There's a story in Gulo that talks about he was walking home or they were going home, him and his father. They had their money that they had made in um, in Foshan and they were heading back to maybe the old village to see some family, things like that. And apparently they were jumped, uh, a group of robbers wanted to uh, take their money. And uh, Lung Jan ended up using something. He rolled it up and, would, and whipped a couple of them and fought those guys off. And, you know, the, uh, his reputation grew after that, you know. Right, right. On story, it sounds maybe fanciful. Who knows? Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's always the problem, I think, with a lot of Chinese martial arts history that a lot of people forget about is this stuff is passed down orally over the course of many generations. And you can't even trust the story you told somebody last week that you would tell it the same way today, let alone stories that have been retold and, and, and told differently from this guy and that guy. And, and unfortunately, there's so many people because they love their sifus and their sifu told them that they will swear to the death that this story is true because they happen to like their sifu and they wouldn't think that their sifu has any reason to lie and their sifu may be telling them the truth. But we're also talking about a 15th hand story coming down and people just going, no, this is it because so-and-so said so. And this is, this is literally hearsay, which is the lowest form of evidence in any kind of court or trial. But we take this as gospel truth in Chinese martial arts. It's really hard, you know, most, as you say, most stories, they're coming down and down and down and down and everybody's family needs to look good or make sure the ancestor look good and all that kind of stuff. So right. Kung Fu guys love to like embellish. So it, yes, absolutely. So I, I, um, yeah. I want to ask you something because uh, obviously we know, uh, you know, when we try to go uh, before Lang John, you know, in terms of the history there, it starts to get really muddy and exactly who taught whom and who was the founder and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we have this kind of fairy tale myth in Wing Chun of Moi, the founder, teaching Yim Wing Chun, who taught Leung Bok Chao, who taught Leung Lan Kwai, who taught either Leung Yitai or Wong Wabo, not sure which. But supposedly Leung John had two instructors, that being Wong Wabo and Leung Yitai. I mean, that's kind of what is normally written in the standard family tree. I mean, whether that's true or not is another thing. Um, you mentioned Wong Wabo uh, as being the teacher. So w w what, do you know what the dynamic was between Leung Yitai and Wong Wabo in terms of teaching Leung John? I mean, in as best as one could gather with the information we have. So it's well known or most people know that Wong Wabo supposedly learned Wing Chun and Leung Yitai was a polar like a 6.5 guy and they were supposed to have an exchange of information. And so this could have been an error when the art evolved, you know, there were two factions interacting with each other, but Lung Jan studied with uh, Wong Wabo. Wong Wabo was the one who taught Wing Chun to Lung Yitai. Lung Yitai teaches 6.5 to uh, Wong Wabo. So Lung Jan ends up studying with Wong Wabo and they say he also studied with, um, uh, Long Yitai, 
So yeah, in, in Gulau, some of the stories I think have dripped over from like maybe Foshan and things like that. Sure. Some of the older generations, uh, they name Wong Wa Bo, they don't talk about uh, Long Yi Tai. And even though I interviewed Feng Chun, but unfortunately Feng Chun, um, Later on in life, you know what I mean. His stories got a little sometimes, a little twisted, and who not, you sure. know. Uh, but uh, he definitely had some good information. But he's one of the people who left the village. When you leave the village, go to Foshan, Canton, Hong Kong, you you can most most Wing Chun people pick up stuff, you right. know what I mean. So the older lineage is uh, uh, in the Gulau. Say he studied with Wang Wabo. Got it. Got it. Plus. Uh, we can't leave out the uh, the possibility that a lot of modern Wing Chun history has been influenced through uh, the film Prodigal Son and Warriors Two. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you this: Speaking of Warriors Two, did did Doctor Leung Chun have spring load loaded wooden dummies that came down rails that you had to fight off and spun around? Was that part of the final test in his Wing Chun school, or was that just movie nonsense? Of course, of course, he had that. That was right next to his uh, Dit Da clinic. Yeah, <laughs> we opened on the weekend. <laughs> that's funny that's funny so um okay yeah i mean i i it's been a while since i've uh, revisited some of this stuff I remember yeah leung yi tai was the pole guy and taught wong wa bo but then you know and then so the idea is that they exchange but then there's also this kind of hearsay that then they also both then taught leung john so i think there's a little you know maybe that is just from the movie or maybe that's just from hearsay and i I, I know what you mean about kind of these fuzzy stories, especially as these seafoods get older. We, I, I was telling Sean on one of the recent episodes, um, even so, and this is like, I think a cautionary tale why students, especially people who want to learn all about the history and you have all these researchers and historians online who will tell you with a straight face, this and this is exactly how it happened. Right. And they're basing this on, something that some Chinese guy told him over dim sum. And it's like, now you're talking about something that happened 200 years ago and this guy heard a story and now you just believe him because you like him. Uh, there was a story that um, uh, one of the guys who acted in a film with uh, Bruce, uh, acted in a few movies with Bruce Lee. Uh, his name is uh, Tony Lau. And, um, and, and he recently was interviewed for a documentary about Bruce Lee that ESPN did. Uh, and I know this because one of my Chinese friends, she's one of the translators on the documentary. And she contacted, contacted me because we were also talking about my, my Yip Man project. And, and she said she interviewed Tony and asked him, uh, you know, what was it like being at Bruce Lee's funeral? Because you had been in films with him. He was a friend. It must have been really devastating. And Tony was like, I was so devastated, I couldn't go to the funeral. I just refused to go. And she was really caught off guard because we have video footage of him at the funeral. And so what are you going to say? Like, um, actually, you were there. He's, because the problem is, and I think people don't realize, it's like you tell a story, maybe he was so sad, but he still went to the funeral. But over time, he talks about how sad he was. And then, then his own narrative starts to change. And 40 years later, he literally tells people he wasn't there. And it's not like he's lying. It's just you start to misremember after a while. These stories get changed over time. And it's the subtle, gradual thing. And I think people don't realize if this happened with someone who's still alive today about a recent event that we have video footage of, how is anybody even remotely sure that Leung John or Leung Yi Tai or Yip Man or any of these guys did exactly this, right? Yeah, it's it's almost impossible, you know. It, it, it's 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 all speculation, 
you know, well, we know, we've heard it from a couple, we've heard it from Foshan that there was a Wang Labo. We heard it from Gulao that there's a Wang Labo. We can assume that there was a Wang Labo. We know that they were red boaters, but you know what I mean? Really, it's, a, it's, it's go back further than that. <laughs> right, absolutely. So another, another wheelhouse that, you know, you kind of live in, which also borders with the Yip Man stuff, is that there is this always sometimes controversial, sometimes non-controversial issue of whether this son of Leung John named Leung Bik existed. Because for people in the Yip Man lineage, uh, Leung Bik is usually credited as Yip Man's secondary teacher that uh, Yip Man originally learned from Tan Wa Sun, who was uh, one of the last, if not the last students of Leung John in Fatsan, I, I suppose. And then uh, Yip Man later went to university in Hong Kong to study English. And during that time, while he was in Hong Kong, he met one of the sons of Leung John, namely Leung Bik, who basically taught him a more refined, more scholarly version of the Wing Chun compared to what he had previously learned from his Sifu and his Sihangs. So that was the story that Yip Man told New Martial Hero Magazine, told his students. And then later it turns out, oh, Leung Bik didn't exist. Actually, Yip Man secretly learned from the Siulam Wing Chun people or these guys, that guys, whatever. And now it seems like, like the pendulum always kind of swings on this historical stuff. And now it seems that it's kind of going back to like, no, maybe Leung Bik actually really did exist. As someone who's a specialist in at least as much as one can be in the historical side of Leung John and his family and stuff like that, how credible is this story that Leung Bik one, existed at all, and two, could potentially have been that secondary instructor of Yip Man. Well, um, I thought a while back that this information that was coming from uh, Long Manlock was, wasn't to be taken too seriously. But and, and who was Long Manlock, just for people who, who don't know? He might be the great-grandson of, uh, or grandson of Long Bik. So when it initially came out, it came out with a uh, controversial photo of Lung Jen and this Qing guard and all this kind of stuff. So there was a bunch of different information flowing around. Some people would say Lung Jen had two, a Lung Bic and another uh, two sons. And then you would go to Feng Chun and Feng Chun would say, oh, he had like five sons. And then, you know, you read the information from uh, Leung Manlock and he would say he had a boatload of kids, you know what I mean? And three wives, and, uh, but they name uh, Leung Bik. So apparently this uh, Leung Bik's information, in this Dung Man Lok is, is factual and he's a legitimate member, descendant of the Leung family. And if you read the information that they put forward, uh, Leung Bik moves to Hong Kong and opens some kind of small little department store or something like of this nature. And so the only thing you have to do then is compare the dates. So what years was Yip Man there? What year wasn't he there? Would it have coincided? What year did Lung Bik die? Because he died quite young. So if I did the notes back in the day. I don't really remember the actual dates when they died, right. you know, right now, but it wasn't a, uh, I think it was somewhere in around uh, 1917, maybe. Or yeah, somewhere in yeah. 1911 to 1917 seems yeah, to be the time like period where he was there. And but yeah. uh, also, even according to like the more, I'm not gonna say credible, but let's say the more thorough, for, whether it's true or not, but the more thorough of the Yip Man research, 
uh, even even indicates that he didn't actually learn from Leung Bik for a very long time. I mean, he, he, Yip Man would have already been, for lack of a better term, someone who had completed the Wing Chun system and just needed some refining and retooling. But some even say it was like a year, it was a year and a half, and then that Leung Bik kind of died suddenly. And they even talk about Yip Man being one of the few people there at his funeral or something like that. I mean, I don't know how much of this stuff is, is credible, but, you know, um, it is definitely the more interesting stuff. Um, you know, I, I wish there was more. Yeah, well, he's a pri- uh, he's this Lung Man Lock is, I think, like 92 years old or something right now. So he's, he's older, but he's shared a number, number of information and he's the gatekeeper of like the Lung Jan info. You know what I mean? And uh, so if, the, if you look at it, though, it, they do mention that uh, uh, Lung Bit taught Yipma. Now, I, is, that a, is that because they kept that as family lore or did they hear it later and add it to their law? I don't know, you know what I mean? But uh, he's to be taken seriously. Uh, all his information should be taken seriously. Interesting. And this Leung Man Lok, this uh, grandson or great-grandson of Leung Bik, uh, he's not a Wing Chun guy. Not at all. Wants nothing to do with them. And um, uh, I think if you go out to, there's a park near where he lives, he plays a little Tai Chi in the park for his health or something like that. Right, right. Which, I mean, the fact that he's not a Wing Chun guy, in my mind, as someone who's been around the Wing Chun block for a minute, I'm like, well, that makes him instantly more credible in my eyes. <laughs> he's just sharing family information. This, this, right. They have this book. And uh, just the information on the sons and daughters or on the sons comes from like page 17 and 18 of this book or something like that, you know? So they have a whole bunch of information. They have the information on Lung Jan's pharmacy, the actual stats of the building and the dimensions. And I mean, it's, wow. really, it's really fascinating. They were the ones who, uh, so the, it was because of them, I believe that, and this, some of these researchers in China that they, this uh, Faiji street in Fatsan today, that famous photo in like Lung Ting's book. Yes. Is uh, not the location mm. where it is. It's actually like a couple of streets away or something. And Lung Jan's former pharmacy is a parking lot now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so just, it is what it is. But the researchers in China were able to take the information. They located it. They had to use old maps and stuff like that. It's the same thing if you go to Gulao. In Gulao, they set up a, in, uh, in the 1990s, they set up this little house as a sort of tribute to Lung Jan. And so most people thought, oh, this is where Lung Jan lived. You know, oh, that's Lung Jan's wooden dummy or, you know what I mean? Uh, so, but they even moved it or into this new kind of a Lung Jan complex now. But the fact of the matter is that might have been his nephew's home. They have no, that wasn't the actual home. And if you walk down across from all here's this beautiful entrance to this park and all this stuff and Lung Jan statues and look at the historical society, all this kind of stuff across the hall from it down the street. There's this empty lot with a farm in it. That's the actual location. <laughs> so it's, it's really, it's amazing. Yeah. I think, I think it's really hard sometimes for uh, Westerners, especially Westerners who are not, um, you know, like super into reading all of this stuff and being up on it. Like if you're, if you're, I feel bad for people who just like Wing Chun and want to go to China and see some Wing Chun stuff without having done a lot of legwork because it's super easy to get duped, especially 
in Fatsan, this and, and you know, Fatsan is this town in Guangdong. It's obviously where Liang Zhan was from, where Yip Man is. So it's also where Wong Feihong was from. It is this kind of almost seemingly random town in Canton province that kind of birthed all of these martial art legends. And now if you go to Fatsan, it's obviously like most big towns in China, it's getting more and more developed. You see more and more stuff there. And it has not one, but two Yip Man uh, halls there, Yip Man museums unrelated to each other. And if you go there, um, you know, people expect they're going to see like Yip Man art of their couple, maybe a little like a business card here and there, but it's like, it's all just photos from books you, you could buy anywhere. Like there's a bunch of Leung Ting's photos on there, a bunch of Wong Shen Leung's photos. And it's, it's a total cash grab. And these are not in sites that really had anything to do with Yip Man. They just happen to be there. And one of the things it's like, I think, kind of shocking for Westerners is, have you ever been to that Bruce Lee ancestral home in Sunduk, China? I mean, no, I haven't. Okay, so the Sunduk is a small town, uh, um, not, not too far outside of Hong Kong. So when you kind of leave Hong Kong and you get into mainland China, you got Shenzhen, and then, you know, you, then you're like in Sunduk. And, you know, Bruce Lee's father is from, his, his ancestral, you know, people are from that town. But Bruce Lee, as far as I know, never actually stepped foot in there, never actually stepped foot in mainland China, as far as I know. And they have a setup in there, in this one place where you go to, and they have Bruce Lee's photo in there. And the locals are like, yeah, this is where Bruce Lee was born. And it's like, Bruce Lee was born in San Francisco. What are you talking about? But the locals there, like even the locals in China, like they don't know. And if you're a a Westerner that loves Kung Fu and you go there and then there's someone who's Chinese who lives in this town that some, has some ancestral relation to Bruce Lee and they go, oh, Bruce Lee was born there only to go back to find he was born in San Francisco. And then, he, then they think, oh, what is the controversy here? No, the people literally don't know. The people in the place you're going to, where this stuff is from, they don't know more than what you're going to find on Wikipedia, unfortunately. And, and, and that seems to be that seems to get, and this is with someone in recent history. Now we talk about Yip Man, then we talk about Chan Ma then we talk about Leung Chan, and it's just like, it's just shooting arrows in the dark as far as I'm concerned. What, um, what, what is the thing you would, like, if you could, if you had one question to ask an oracle in terms of history, in terms of Leung Chan, Wing Chan, like, the one thing that, like, you felt if you knew the answer to this, that would, like, a lot of things would fall into place, uh, and maybe this is putting you on the spot a little bit, but what is the one kind of, I, I don't know, uh, the, the one mystery that, that you would love solved the most in terms of the history of Leung Chan or Wing Chun or anything like that? The one thing where it's just like, we really just don't know or can't find out. Well, you know what? I, 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 there's still a lot of mysteries about this guy, you know, and uh, I guess if I could uh, have like a crystal ball or something like that, I'd like to see what he was teaching in each of these periods and to the different members because I've learned a lot more over the, over the recent years about this, thanks to like some of the elders sharing some information in Gulao. You know, I'll use Gulao as an example. When you think about Gulao, you think about Pinsan Wing Chun, you know, and uh, that's the dominant style there, obviously. But... Lung Jan, when he arrived there, he was actually teaching standard Wing Chun. He was teaching the three-form straight body type Wing Chun. And actually, he had a little break off and he taught, decided he taught Wang Wasam this version afterwards. 
It's a long story. I won't get into it. <laughs> so these two guys were being taught two separate arts. One was the standard sort of Foshan three-form art, and one was this 12-fist side-body art. Now, here we have Lung Jan's son, who goes to Vietnam to do business in Vietnam. He teaches somebody. And this guy was from Gula. So this guy comes back to the village. So now at one time period, there's Pin Sun Wing Chun, there's the Three Form Wing Chun, and there's this kind of Lung Jin strand from Vietnam that came on over. And it's nothing to do, wouldn't have had anything to do with the, what we think of as Vietnam Wing Chun today. But uh, each of these had a slightly different emphasis. They said the, the side body uh, wrote, had the rotation, the straight body went in, and the other one, this other style, had this sort of specialty of triangle stepping and things like that. So Interesting. I, I just wish I could uh, really get a good glimpse into what you know, this guy was teaching at any point in time because even some of his daughters uh, married into families, and there's other families that preserve like strands of Lung Jan's Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, uh, it's one of those things, though. Every family sometimes, a lot of these families, maybe they had uh, other Kung Fu experience, maybe this, maybe that, and it evolves over the years. But I would like to look back into that time period to see exactly what was going on. Right, right. Yeah, if we, if we, only, if we only could. And I would love to just go back and see what it looked like when they practiced, you know, what, what like, you know, that, that would be so interesting for me. Unfortunately, that's uh, probably not going to be the case. So, hey, I'm looking at the clock. We're actually running out of time here. This goes by so quickly. I wish, uh, you know, I, I, I feel I could do this for such a long time. And then, you know, once we get started, there's always so many more questions that I have. So I just wanted to thank you for coming on and, you know, uh, hope that our listeners really uh, appreciate this kind of content. I find this absolutely fascinating. And uh, if you guys have any uh, questions for uh, Sifu Jim Rosalando, what is the best way for people to get in contact with you or find out about your school? Uh, they can just email me at info at gulobboxingassociation.com or just link up with me on Facebook. Awesome. Very cool. Well, hey, this was a lot of fun, Jim. Thanks a lot. And I hope we do this again. Make you a, well, four is an unlucky number in Chinese. So if we make you a four-time returner, we'll have to quickly make you a five-time five returner so that you don't have that number four attached. We can do 3.5. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. 
Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!